If you have your copies of God's Word, we're going to continue through it, through these 20 verses here, which have a lot of application for us. So we're going to pick up in verse 1, and it, it goes like this. Mm, let's pick up in verse 50 of last chapter. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Verse 1, chapter 14. So in Iconium they entered a synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both Jews and Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against Paul and Barnabas. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord who was testifying to the word of grace and granted that signs and wonders would be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Jews and the Gentiles um, and the rulers to mistreat and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the city of Lyconia. Lystra and Derby in the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. At Lystra, a man sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's birth, and who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke. And when he had fixed his gaze on him, he seen that he had faith to be made well. So he said with a loud voice, Paul did, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice saying in the Lysonian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes and because, of, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, who had a temple just outside of the city here, who's to, oh, says right there in the text, ha, see, I read the passage, all right, was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying, saying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you. And preach the gospel to you that, that you should turn from the vain things of, to the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And in the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet he did not leave himself without witness. And, did, and that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfied your hearts with goods and gladness. Even saying these things, they still had difficulty stopping the crowds from offering sacrifices to them. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won the crowds over, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. And while the disciples stood around Paul, he came to, he got up, entered the city. And the next day they went with Barnabas to Derbe. With that being said, there is a ton of, of application for us in this passage, but let's ask God's blessing before we walk through it. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you thankful that your word stays true in a world where truth keeps shifting. Father, I, I confess that I am pulled in many different directions this morning, emotionally, spiritually, and physically, there are competing 
lot of competition for all of those right now. And Father, in many ways, that fits this text. So use my shortcomings, my weaknesses, my failures, um, my stress. Uh, use it for your glory to make this passage come alive. But Father, above all of that, I just ask that I would communicate your word, not what I think about it, but what you have said. I pray the Holy Spirit would guide my thoughts. I pray that your Son, Jesus Christ, would be glorified. And so, Father, I pray these things and I ask them in your Son's precious name. And if you're thankful for the mothers in your life, say amen. Amen. All right. Roller coasters. Roller coasters. Moments of suspense. Moments of sheer joy and fun. Moments of terror. Where you can go from a peaceful, smooth coast to a slow, arduous climb to, I'm going to die. All in a single moment. And if you're over 40, all of those stages will make you dizzy. I don't know about you, but I can barely follow a butterfly in the sky without getting a little dizzy. But roller coasters, it has become a, almost a euphemism for how life can go. Life is, and if you would agree with this, life is a giant roller coaster, amen? I mean, it's one here, one you're up, you're down, you're all over the place. Like we will see here with Paul and Barnabas. He will go from being rejected and stoned near to death to being sent out of a city to being worshipped by people in another where he shares the gospel. And he will go from peaceful rest to trials to tribulations. You know, sometimes I can relate to this on a, little, on a, on a smaller level. It's not uncommon for me to come straight from a funeral to a family celebrating the birth of a child. From a wedding and people celebrating to weeping with a a broken spouse over their marriage. To the pleasure of company to the wrath of another's anger. From praying with someone who is about to pass away to the anniversary party of another. If life is a bumpy road, let me be crystal clear. Ministry is a roller coaster and oftentimes with no seatbelt blindfolded. This passage will give us a peek into the roller coaster life of a faithful minister. Now, the truth of the matter is, it's true for all of us. All of us have experienced the roller coasters in our life. And you know what? I'm going to hang up my jacket and Barb put a brass hook right here. Yes. Thank you, Barb. But someone also brought a solid oak coat rack. And so I feel conflicted. Do I reward Barb for honoring her commitment and doing something that she didn't have to do? Or do I go with this? I feel like the price is right. Do I go with the solid oak coat rack? I don't know what to do. It's Mother's Day. And Barb is a mother, so there we go. But I will use this. I will use this because it's glorious, all right? And I'll I'll split time between the two. 
all of us know what roller coasters are like, and this will be true for you as well, but if I can in humility just say, it seems to be a little elevated when you're a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is what we see here with Paul and Barnabas. So I want to say this humbly. Most of the time when pastors speak on a text that has to do with their calling, it's almost always about the the duties of the minister and the duties of the pastor, or, or in this case, the generic title apostle because it's referring to Barnabas at the same time. It's usually about our duties or how we fail or how we need to do better and more. And those are always enjoyable messages for me. But this passage will provide a rare opportunity, not only in, in all of our lives, you'll be able to see this in all of our lives, but it, just a rare opportunity to see inside the life of a minister as well. Now, due to the number of verses that we have in this section, we're going to go through the first seven, first seven verses quickly because it will set the stage for the meat of the application. And so it starts out with this. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred the minds of the Gentiles. Nothing gives us a stronger indication of just how threatened the Jews were by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the fact that they would seek out Gentile support. The fact that, you know, it's, you know common enemies make for strange... Anyone? Anyone know the rest of that? Because I'm not going to say it, all right? Bedfellows. Let's just move forward, all right? So they, they did what came natural. It says here, they embittered them against the brethren, the brethren being Paul and Barnabas and the converts. Which means, and the word embittered here means to poison public opinion against them. If I could translate it into today's vernacular, it would look like this. Whisper, whisper, concern, accusation, repeat. Whisper, whisper, concern, accusation, and repeat. This kind of attack, by the way, is a slow death. It takes time and a great deal of self-righteousness to do this kind of embittering and poisoning of public opinion. But when a person's heart is filled with this kind of self-righteousness and agenda, time really doesn't matter. In fact, you see it, you see that time is even welcomed. You'll see it in the text that says, therefore, they spent a long time there. Both the apostles and those poisoning public opinion. They spent a long time there. But one thing you can always be sure of is given enough time, and not being close to the Lord, the poison of whisper, whisper, concern, accusation will eventually, without doubt, okay, if there's any cracks in the fellowship of Jesus Christ or in a community, all right, eventually, given enough time and enough poison to, to, to spread, it will divide people. We see this in the text, and the people of the city were divided. And when enough people are divided, buckle up. When enough people are divided, watch out. It's just a matter of time before an arrow from the bushes under the cover of goodwill will be fired. In fact, you see it here in the text, an attempt was made to mistreat and stoned them to death. That's an amazing transition here. Now with that, you see here, that caused them to flee from the city of Lysonia. I like what Kent Hughes says here in this moment, and maybe you can relate. This is our first application coming right now. Paul and Barnabas were brave, but they were not stupid. 
Paul and Barnabas were brave, but they were not stupid. Kent Hughes says this. He says, they were born again. They were not born yesterday. And so when they heard those, those things, uh, they, they fled. Now, it's important to understand, and I want to make sure I highlight this. The Lord protects his children. Amen? We all agree with that. The Lord protects his children in a way that will bring glory and honor to him above all things. And one of his protections, by the way, is, is, is called CS, which is abbreviated for common sense. One of the Lord's protections in your life is to use your God-given what? Common sense. How many here would say common sense is in short supply in our day and age? Anyone at all? It's short in the body of Christ as well, starting from the pulpit. Use our God-given common sense. In fact, parents, if you would agree with this, please do. Use your God-given common sense. Amen? Now, here's our first application. Faith in God is not a license for stupidity. Go ahead and write that down. You're going to want to bring that home. All right? Faith in God is not a license for stupidity. I cannot tell you how often people, and I have been guilty of this, all right, how often people will invoke their faith in God as a license to be foolish. I don't know about you, but there's times where I have to meet with people and I'm like, if you don't stop spending money like a drunken sailor. Now, apparently, drunken sailors like to spend money, all right? Because that's kind of always how the phrase goes. If you don't stop spending money like a drunken sailor, you are going to lose everything. And I've literally had people say, and see if you can finish this statement, because it's a pretty universal statement within Christendom. It was, if it's God's will, it's his what? (laughs) Yes, it is his way, but financially. God's will is what? God's bill. God's will is God's bill. And I just want to look at them and go, no, that's, that's really not what we're looking at here. God's will for our lives is to be a good steward. Amen? That's God's will for our lives. In fact, let me unpack that. God's will is for us to use the minds that he gave us with the instruction he provided. This is God's will. Amen? Use it. Use it. With, with the gift of common sense and intellectualism that he has given to us. That is God's will. Because faith in God is not a license for stupidity. So using their God-given common sense, it says here they became aware of it and they ran. They fled. Now let us bring up in the context from last week. This is where it gets kind of fun and interesting. All right? Talking about roller coasters. All right? So using their God-given common sense, let's remember last week, Paul and Barnabas were driven out of the district and they shook off the dust from their feet. We unpacked that last week. Now I want you to add it to this week's that says they were about to be mistreated and stoned so they fled from that city. So I don't know about you, I'm going to do some really easy math. I don't do this new math or common core. This is old school math right here. How many are thankful for old school math? Because it never lies. It never lies. Here it is. One plus one equals whatever you want it to be. No, two, all right? It equals two. They have been booted out of two cities back to back. 
Two cities back to back. Things are going very poorly, are they not? Now, I want you to hold on to the subject of, of rejection. They were run out of a city, all right? And now they get word they're going to be stoned, so they got to run from that one. So I want you to remember those two rejections and add it to the roller coaster we, uh, analogy we began with. So we got, get out of here, we're going to kill you, and now, Lystra. All right? Now, I am so excited about this because I learned something new this week. And I don't know about you, but I love learning background context and historical settings that pop the passage. And, and I'm going to say that 99% of us are going to learn something we had never heard before, which will pop the application. So I'm excited about this because I know something right now that you don't. We're just going to pause here for a moment because I like the way this makes me feel. All right, no. Maybe you do know this. The historical setup right here is way too important to just fling a stone and skip over the, the, the surface waters of the Word of God and somehow get its deep application here. No, we're going we're gonna to have to stop here for a moment. This is 26 miles south of Iconium. You can see that right there with the, with the star, 26 miles away from where they have just left. Now, with that in mind, it's important to understand that Lystra was a frontier outpost colonization of the Roman government that was established in 6 BC. Big deal, I know, but bear with me, all right? I want you to think a fort-style outpost with an old Wild West attitude and culture, all right? I want you to think out there in the middle of nowhere with Old West ethos and ethics. You know, the kind that you see on the, on, on the movies where they're like, did you shoot that there man? And the guy goes, yep, but he had it a-coming. And the sheriff goes, oh, well, if you had it coming, then we're good to go. This is the kind of mentality I want you to hear and feel when you see that Lystra there. So isolated is this outpost. So unvisited is this area in this time that they spoke their own language. In fact, you can see it right there in the text. It says, in the Lysonian language. Now, to the best of my research, the Lysonian language was a, it was still Greek in nature, all right? Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew. It was still Greek in nature, but it was a very strong variant, all right? of the Greek dialect. The best way I could describe this is I want you to think the English language in a very strong Irish accent. Are you following me there? That's kind of, they had, they, it was so strong and it was such a variant from the Greek that they literally said, those people over there, they have their own language. And for me to, to try to illustrate and get this to pop, I'm going to play a 20 five second, I'll, I'll cue you guys in. Um, this is a deep Irish farmer, all right, speaking English in his own very deep variant of English in the Irish language, okay? So when we get done, I want you to tell me what he's talking about. If you pay attention, you will hear it because it is in English. Let's start this up, guys. Thank you. If you cut them down now. That's, to, that's blocking the light, your man in there. That's blocking the light now going into his place. There's a big shadow that's casting there. Like if we cut that out now and, and the tree there, 
and, and cut up for block wood. You put that in the back of the fire, Jay, you'd hit the fire up. I was down in the pub last night, we were down after the under 16 county final, you know. I was talking to Mickey Mac below and he was talking about global warming, you know. And I said to him, what that? So it feels warm out, what are you talking about? It'd be a good idea, he said, the global warming. He said to me, ah, so this is the fellas up in Dublin now are trying to stop the global warming and cutting the bogs. And like, he threw a few lessons, the, the, the people gets into the fire, you know. So I said to him, global warming, what's that? What's that? So it's fair warm out, what are you complaining about? I said, did Danny Hill the blow on Kerry? He's the right man for the job. Oh, Jesus, I'll tell you something, he's one of them above in Dublin, huh? That was English. What was he talking about? Global warming. Probably one of the best explanations I have ever heard <laughs> of global warming. I know uh, Amy Thompson's here. You spent uh, some time in Ireland, did you not? Did you understand all of that? Can I tell them some of your stories? Okay. So I got permission to share that from our Irish uh, resident expert, uh, Amy Thompson, who, who um, lived and had relatives out there um, in her life. And I think you were saying, even if you start to get to know the accent of the Irish language or English Irish language, they have different meanings of different things. Like for us, and Amy actually had this experience, um, and I, I hope I get close. She said, hey, for my birthday, I'm going to go get carry out and come home and, and enjoy the night and get carry out. Well, in our understanding, carry out means what? Talk to me. We go to the restaurant and we what? You can take out. In Ireland, it means you're going to get so stinking drunk, they're going to carry you out <laughs> of the pub or something like that. And Amy's over there at a Christian camp. Going, I'm going to get me some carry out, you know? And they're like, oh, oh, what's going on here? They are speaking in the Lysonian language. All right, now it's important for you to grab that because it's going to pop even more. How many love nerd history? Anyone at all? It's going to bring some application. You cool people, doors are in the back. All right, here we go. Now, with all that being said, why would I share this with you? Well, you have to understand, you see, the point is here, they could understand Paul. They could understand Paul. You see this in the words, the man was listening to Paul as he spoke. Because he understands Paul's language, but Paul, that thick variant, he can't understand it. But because of their strong variant accent and dialect of the Greek, Paul and Barnabas can't understand a word from them. Kind of like how if we went and talked to that Irish farmer, he'd be like, why are you talking so slowly? And we can't understand him. Now, this is Lystra, all right? The nearest Walmart is 12 hours away. They have their own language. In fact, so Gentile and, and isolated, they didn't even have their own synagogue. You don't even see the synagogue. Up until this point, Paul always goes to synagogues first. There is no synagogue here. In fact, not only is there no synagogue here, there is no Old Testament scriptures here. They are completely ignorant of Old Testament scripture. Now, this is very important here. Here's what I want you to see. This is the very first time in the book of Acts, very first time recorded in the word of God, that the gospel will be shared in a completely pagan Gentile setting. Now, 
So as Paul begins to share about the one true God, he sees a man sitting who has no strength in his feet. He is lame from mother's womb and has never walked. This triple description of this man's state serves to highlight that he has absolutely no hope ever to walk again. No hope to walk again. He has no strength from birth, never walked. So everyone in Lystra knew this man's condition. So Paul, ta- as he talks, he, his eyes fall on this hopeless man, and he sees that he has faith to be made well, knowing they have nothing in common, not even Old Testament scriptures, all right? Not even their own language. They have no understanding of the Old Testament. Paul sees an opportunity to heal this man that will bring authority to what he is teaching. And so with a loud voice, Paul says, stand upright on your feet, and he leaped and he began to walk. Now, with that going on in this kind of setting, Paul has their attention, does he not? Can you imagine if I did this right now? I said, Mario, lame from birth, get up and walk. And he, he gets up and he walks, and, and people are witnessing this. Paul has their attention. And now that he has their attention, I love when there's misdirection here. Now that he has their attention, he can unpack the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not so fast. Not so fast. These people have a culture that is unbeknownst to Paul right now. He does not know the historical background of these people. And he has just triggered them. Now, I know we triggered, that word has contemporary, but there's triggers back then as well. You ever have that, by the way? You ever, with all of your efforts, try something and it gets derailed over something you had no idea about? And before Paul can even say the word Jesus or gospel or salvation, he's, he thinks he's got their attention and he goes, now let me talk to you about, and they, and they just erupt. They don't even care what he has to say. Now, I don't know about you, but if Bob Bannister just healed a lame person from birth, I don't know where that came from, all right? And, and he, I'd say, everyone, stop talking. Can I say the word shut up? Am I allowed to say that? All right. So everyone, just shut up. I want to hear what he has to say. But no one does. They just erupt. How is that possible? Context, culture, historical background. Get ready for this. I love this here. Imagine, it says here, they erupted and they raised their voices, saying in the Lysonian language, something about global warming. No, I'm teasing, no. But with that heavy dialect, they start talking. Now, I want, I want you to feel for Paul and Barnabas here. Imagine a crowd of people all yelling in a thick variant dialect that you can't understand and you have no idea what is being said. But here's what's being said. And I will not give a thick, variant accent to this. The gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas, Zeus, and Paul, Hermes. Did I say that right? Is it Hermes? Nailed it. All right. Because he was the chief speaker. Now, why would this be the response of Mario being healed from birth? Don't you just want me to be quiet? Everyone else to be quiet so we can hear this? No. Why are they doing this? Now, because there is a ancient poet by the name of Ovid. Who names their child Ovid? I do not know, but here he is. He was born in 43 BC and lived to 17 AD. What is that? That's uh, 60 years old? 60 years of age. He sheds light on this response here. 
if you read his ancient writings, he writes about the, the fabled mythological event of Zeus and Hermes. Notice the names in the biblical text, Zeus and Hermes. A mythological event where Zeus and Hermes, these two gods, visited the town of Lystra, disguised as mere mortals. Look at the text. Gods have come in human form. And these gods, disguised in human form, went around the city, and this is a a, a tall tale. They went around the city to try and find hospitality, only to be turned away from everyone they asked, until finally an old couple took them in, unaware of that being Zeus and Hermes. Zeus and Hermes rewarded the old couple by turning their humble home into a temple made out of solid gold. And, in return, they destroyed everyone who did not offer hospitality by flooding and drowning them all to death. Isn't history fun? This is the secular history, by the way, adding to the accuracy of Scripture. You see it baked into the text. Now, I want you to put your, their shoes on your feet for a minute. Their shoes on your feet for a minute. Yes, And I want you to imagine you grew up in Lystra, isolated from people in an old west ethos town, hearing about, having your own language, hearing about this legend. You grew up hearing about this. And now there are two people who you do not know, who appear to be in human form, who have just divinely healed a man, knowing that healing a man everyone knows will never walk, and he is now jumping around in the background. And the last time something like this happened, everyone who did not show hospitality died. What would you do? Talk to me, church. What would you do? You would start showing some hospitality. Look, they brought oxen and they brought garlands to the gates and they wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. My friends, it is time to show hospitality or risk dying. And it's not until now that Paul and Barnabas realize what in the world's going on. They want to be worshipped. Now remember the word roller coaster we began with. And now add it to this. Ready? This is so interesting. They've been kicked out of a city, almost stoned in the next, and now they're being worshipped as gods. Just, just, woo, 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 woo. It's all over the place. It is here we see our first hint of primary application. A minister's life, in his message, he must deliver. Notice They are treated based on the expectations and desires of the people they are sharing with. They are treated based on the expectations. You are gods, or an Iconium, you're going to die. Based on expectations and desires of the people they are serving. Kicked out, almost stoned, and now worshipped. True story here, I received a, a call from a pastor in Ohio this week. Phone rang, picked it up. You know, hey, Joe Schmo, how you doing? What's going on? And he was absolutely broken on the other line. I said, what's going on? He said, Brett, how is it that I can be loved in one group and then walk 10 feet and be seen as a scourge of the earth on the next? And the only thing that has changed about me is 10 feet. Why the difference? He says the demands and the expectations and the desires. 
He says, it doesn't matter how long I've served them, and, and, and I'm only good as the last unmet expectation. And then he said in utter helplessness, he said, Brett, if I meet a hundred expectations in a row, but I don't meet number 101, they will believe the worst of me. I'm nothing but a utility. Everyone tells me, but I, I, everyone tells me I'm human, but I'm not allowed to be. And then with a broken heart, he said, if I am helpful to a person and I give them what they want, then I am valued. If I am not helpful to what they want, I am, I am a utility to be thrown away. He goes, Brett, one of my best friends is leaving me right now because I didn't meet that expectation. He says, I feel, and I, I, I laughed when he said this, but he said this, I feel like they want a perfect pastor they can relate to. Now you may say, are we a little off context here? No, look at the next path, part of the passage. They run out and they say, men, why are you worshiping us? Don't do this. We are men the same as you are. Rookie mistake by Paul rookie mistake. Oh, if I could just teach Paul a thing or two, I would destroy him, all right? Don't tell them what they don't want, Paul. It's better to just zip it. What do you mean you're not human? That's not what we want. Paul says, not only am I not a what you want, I may have to tell you something you don't want to hear. And so look what he does here. He preaches the gospel that you should turn, the word turn, repent. There's repentance again. Not easy believism. From the vain things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Now remember what kind of outpost Lystra is. Now, I need you to bear with me. I have about one page of notes left, and I know there's a lot of historical background in this, but I need you to keep gathering up like you're at, you're at the hermeneutical grocery store and everything is way too expensive, all right? And I want you to grab them up because it's going to bake a beautiful application. Things are too expensive. Can I get a witness on that? Sweet. Especially weddings. We'll be taking a... An offering later as a, a way to glorify God. Remember, Lystra, you know? I wanted to whistle the old Western, but I can't do it. Thank you. You can't do it either. Now, <laughs> completely, well, these people are completely ignorant of what? Talk to me, church. Old Testament. They have no special revelation. So unlike the Jewish audience, Paul could not start with, a, with the scriptures as a place of agreement. At least with the Jews, you can go, hey, you remember Isaiah? You remember Jeremiah? You remember, you remember Genesis? You remember, you remember Job? You remember, you know, and they go, yeah, 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 okay, we're on the same page. Doesn't exist here. It doesn't exist here. So Paul will have to change the way he shares his gospel because for the first time he is dealing with people who have no idea or familiarity with the person of Jesus or the Old Testament scriptures. So how do you begin to tell the gospel to someone who does not believe or know the scriptures in any way, shape, or form? He cannot share the gospel in Lystra the same way he would have shared it in Jerusalem. Just as much as you and I cannot share the gospel at Calvin University the same way you would share it to the unreached people groups of Kazaka. The only place of agreement 
that we have in the world that we live in and the world that they live in outside of the gospel is, here it is, it is creation. All of us can agree that we live on a planet rotating around a star. Can I get a witness on that? Well, even in today's day and age, they may not, we may not agree on that. So he has to go to the revelation that existed before the scriptures. And here it is, general revelation. The world around them. We find in Romans, Paul writes this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Creation declares a creator. Amen? So now the question is, who? Who is the creator? And he says this, in generations gone by, he permitted the nations to go their own way. Some text says he left them alone. Let me just cut to the chase here. Though they have received no special revelation, Old Testament scripture like Israel has, they have no scripture, i.e. the words that they were left alone. God was patient and did not destroy the ignorant nations because of their sin. And just because you did not have the scripture does not mean, by the way, that this, this God of creation was not good to you. It says right here, he did not leave himself. Oh yeah, it's right here. He, he did not leave himself without witnesses so that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, testifying with your hearts with, with food and gladness. This speaks of the theological term and truth called the common grace of God. When God is good to all mankind, regardless of their spiritual state and condition. Look at the text. He gave you the wonders of nature, rain for your food, desires met, and the ability to find joy. My friends, here, I just want you to grab this. God does not owe any single individual or person or man or woman. God owes no one mercy. Amen? He is justified to do nothing. Yet he is graceful, even in his common grace. Yet even in the sinful state of not knowing the one true God, God's character of grace spills into the world, even when the world rejects them. Here it is. This is how great and how merciful our God is. Now, remember the application. We're almost done. Keep all those things in your hand. This is not what Lystra wants. They want gods. They want Zeus. They want Hermes. They want to make sure they will not be destroyed. So powerful were the expectations. So powerful were the fears. That they look at Paul and Barnabas and say, Oh yeah? Yes, you are. You will be what we think you should be. In fact, look at the text. With difficulty, they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifices. We want what we want when we want it. This is how strong people's demands and fears are on the roller coaster of life and ministry. So with their expectations not met, it was not hard to convince that Paul and Barnabas should be disposed of. A utility. He's not serving. It says right here, having won the crowds over, they decided to stone Paul and they dragged him out of the city supposing he was dead. Grab this. The garland on the gates and the manure of the oxen have not even 
fully wilted. And these ministers of God have gone from deified to damned. Why? Kent Hughes hits it out of the park. Because hell knows no fury like a worshiper's scorn. By the way, that's true today. It's true today in all of our lives. If we don't guard our hearts. If Paul and Barnabas would not fit their expectations and demands, it doesn't matter. Now, this is the funny part. It doesn't matter that he just healed a layman from birth. He has not met expectation 101. What layman? It's as though it never happened. And this layman is still running around, jumping up and down for joy. The minister of the gospel must be disposed of. My friends, grab this. Reception and opposition exist side by side in ministry. Rejection and opposition and reception exist side by side. And it is here that we find our hand ready to pick the primary application. All that shopping in the inflated supermarket is now ready to be, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Rewarded. Hope you have it all in your hands. Paul and Barnabas went from rejection to death threats, to being worshipped, to literally being stoned almost to death. Why? Because each group wanted what they wanted, hated what they hated, and loved what they loved. Paul and Barnabas were but utilities to their desires. But it goes even further than that. It's not that they were even opposed to Jesus. It's that they were opposed to the Jesus that Paul and Barnabas were teaching. Hmm. They wanted the Jesus of their demands. Do we do this today? Do people want the pastor they desire to teach the Jesus they demand? Lloyd Olive captures this thought. He says this, In America, we have made Jesus our captive hero to our civil issues and our personal desires. I want you to hear this. We're almost done. We have cut Christ down to our own size and we have squeezed him into a straitjacket of our demands. Here it is. Oh, if you hear nothing, hear this. We want a Jesus close enough to save us but far enough to not serve. Do you see our hearts in that? Do you see your heart in that? Do I see mine? A Jesus close enough to save but far enough to not have to serve. Jesus is fine, if defined by our perspective, but not by his. Call him the great counselor, but not the creator I'm accountable to. He is the good shepherd, but not the final judge. Tell me of his heaven, but I will not hear of his hell. My friends, whether it be those who are lost, like in Lystra, or those who love religion, like in Iconium, Mankind is not interested in a Jesus that is. They are interested in the Jesus they want. And my friends, in love and in gentleness and in compassion and in boldness and in truth, this is not the Jesus that is available to us. And suddenly, Paul is hit in the face with a stone. 
If you look clearly, you can see him dizzy. If you look closer, you'll see a line of blood trickle down his cheekbone. It was time to dispose of not only this unwanted Jesus, but this unwanted utility. May I ask you a question? Have you made Jesus a captive hero of your demands, your wants, your desires? Or have you found a Lord and Master and Savior of your life? One that is so close He can save and even closer that you serve. The next time we are together, we will look at verses 19 through 28 in what a faithful minister of Jesus Christ looks like regardless of the roller coaster. With that, my prayer is you would know the Jesus that is revealed, not simply the Jesus we desire. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. You are a friend that sticks closer than a brother. you are still the great I am. You are God. Father, I pray that as a church family, we would serve you, not the you we want. Oh, that we would love you with all of our hearts. Father, dismiss us with your blessing. I pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. I love you guys. Happy Mother's Day. Enjoy the long lines at the restaurants. God bless you.